We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Cry Macho. Back when we had winners, I'm afraid to lose you to the competition. Five times you won the All-American. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? That was before the accident. Before the booze. You know how many people told me to just cut you loose? You gonna say anything? Howard, I've always thought of you as a small, weak, and gutless man. But you know, there's no reason to be rude. You owe me, Mike. You gave me your word. And that used to mean something. My son, Rafael, he's in trouble. I want to get him out of Mexico. You want me to go down there and kidnap him? Please, just get him back up here. Just you? Just me. Hey, Rafael, you can come out now. I'm a friend of the family. Touch me and I'll kick your asshole, man. Jesus Christ. Get in the back. We go and I tell you, okay? Look, the only place you're gonna go is the hospital. You get too angry. It's not good for you. You used to be strong, natural. I used to be a lot of things, but I'm not now. Now I'll tell you something. This macho thing is overrated. Just people trying to be macho show that they've got grit. That's about all they end up with. It's like anything else in life, you think you got all the answers. I'm Mike. Marta. And you realize as you get older, you don't have any of them. We all have to make choices in life, kid. You have to make yours. His name is Macho. Like me. Very strong rooster. Whatever. What's wrong with that? Nothing. I want to name this cock Macho. <laughs> it's okay by me. All right, everybody. You were just listening to the trailer for Cry Macho. And the story is as follows. A one-time rodeo star and washed-up horse breeder in 1978 takes a job from an ex-boss to bring the man's young son home and away from his alcoholic mom. 
Crossing rural Mexico on their back way to Texas, the unlikely pair faces an unexpectedly challenging journey, during which the world-weary horseman may find his own sense of redemption through teaching the boy what it means to be a good man. The film is starring Clint Eastwood, Dwight Yoakam, Eduardo Minette, Natalia Traven, and Fernanda Orajola. It is directed by Clint Eastwood, and it is written by Nick Schenk and N. Richard Nash. Here to join me today, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. You ready to do this podcast, kid? (laughs) Oh, been ready for a long time. (laughs) You know, for those that don't know, the first podcast that Josh Parham and I ever did together was the 1517 to Paris. And so here we are, Josh, reviewing another Clint Eastwood film, just the two of us. Only this time, I can guarantee we won't have to record it two times. <laughs> yes, and as I have remarked in the past, you know, that was a movie that really demanded so much conversation. So there was so much to talk about in the second <laughs> half of it because so much happened in the 1570 to Paris. You know, we've reviewed Richard Jewell since then. I, I do recall skipping the mule when that came out. Yeah, that was a good call. <laughs> and now um, this time... Clint is back in front of the camera again, now at the age of 91 years old, directing and starring in this film. And it's a very interesting one, not in terms of the movie itself, but more so in terms of the novelty of seeing Clint on screen, seeing him still doing this at his age. I think there have been a couple of comments that have been made about how nobody like in the history of cinema has starred and directed in their own film at his age. And I just find all of this to be very fascinating in the sense of how he's still playing the type of persona that we have obviously known him as over many, many decades. Only now he's once again deconstructing it as he's done previously in the past, but he's still doing it into his 90s. So you can view this as a comfort movie. You can view it as um, just something light and easy to watch. I mean, he's, he's, he's very interesting. He's a very interesting filmmaker in this regard and one that I do find fascinating to talk about but at the same time i gotta just come right out and say it i did not particularly like this movie (laughs) i did not but what about you josh i mean i haven't heard your thoughts about this yet i'm sure we'll talk equally as much about clint eastwood the man as we will about the movie here because i do think that this movie is serving as a commentary uh, at this stage in his life on his on-screen persona and his work as a storyteller so what did you think of cry macho Well, going into this movie, first of all, I must admit to having some reservations because even though I do respect Clint Eastwood immensely as a filmmaker, he has made a lot of movies that I really do enjoy. His latest output has not been quite so fantastic to me. And I think especially his collaborations with um, with Nick with Nick Schenck, who I do not like as a writer. I think Gran Torino and The Mule in particular are pretty terrible movies, uh, really because of the writing. So I wasn't really looking forward to this movie because of that. And I guess the nicest thing I could say about it is it isn't quite 
that bad. It's not like the mule bad, for instance. There's no threesomes in this one. Oof, no, but I feel like... Although I have to admit, there were a couple scenes where I thought, uh-oh, uh-oh. It kind of came close to some of that territory, and those were the <laughs> moments where I did laugh out loud. <laughs> so ridiculous. But... I do think that this movie is just sort of passable, honestly. I didn't hate it. I just found myself very kind of apathetic towards it. There's really not a lot of stakes to the movie. It just sort of does its thing, and you see the characters go on this journey, and that's about it. It really is not any more complicated than that, and that certainly speaks to Eastwood as a storyteller, but I also think it just means the momentum is a little stagnant for me. But at the same time, if you like Eastwood in this persona, I think that, you know, it's not amazing, but there's a screen presence that Eastwood has that is effective. And I think he carries that well enough. So, like, it's a movie that I'm just very, like, average on. It's like I said, I didn't hate it. I didn't really like it all that much. It just sort of sat there on the screen and it washed over me. And it's like, okay, that was a fine enough time. And then it's kind of being quickly forgotten, I would say. I was very content, even though, like you, Josh, I didn't really like the movie that much. I was very okay with Gran Torino being his last on-screen role, potentially, Mm. at the time of its release. Yeah, I was not, because I do not like Gran Torino at all. Sure. I'm mixed negative. Like, I'm not fully in the negative on it, but... You know, I thought maybe as a send off for him just on screen, like if he wanted to continue directing after that, I was okay with it. You know, Um, then he did Trouble with the Curve and, you know, then he did um, uh, obviously the mule and Cry Macho is one now where if this was his last on screen role, this one I would feel even more okay with, you know, he's on a horse, he's got the cowboy hat He's being a good man, showing this younger kid how to be a good man. You know, he's deconstructing machoism and the things that, you know, as far as masculinity on screen goes, like he's really, I feel, giving us that swan song riding off into the sunset type of character performance and also reflection on his body of work that for me does feel fitting and right the movie surrounding all of this i've got like a ton of issues with uh but this core aspect the core aspect being him like if it was any other filmmaker like if this wasn't clint eastwood then none of this works like at all <laughs> and we would be much more savagely brutal to this movie but i think that because it is clint And because we do take a history with us into this movie while we're watching it, I do think that that does keep it afloat just ever so slightly because it does have that comforting, warm feeling to it. Especially um, uh, the cinematography of this movie, uh, you know, is like bathed in sunlight and it just has a very lush uh, hue to it. Unlike some of his other movies that he's, you know, shot with uh, Tom Stern where they're so dark and in shadow. So... Yeah, I would say that if this was hypothetically the last time we saw Clint Eastwood on the screen, I would be I would be pretty okay with that this time around. Yeah, I think that Eastwood definitely has a kind of perception of his on-screen persona and his history with audiences in this kind of a role. And I think that he does steer into that in some aspects. 
I think I would also argue that almost every time he has stepped in front of the camera, in which could have possibly been his last time, has been somewhat of a swan song. So he's kind of gotten uh, a lot of practice at it, I would say. But at the same time, I do think that that is an element of the film that not necessarily, I would say, is like beneficial for it, but it is a nice acknowledgement. And you do get kind of wrapped up in this meta element of the storytelling that I think that I agree with you. If it were anybody else except Clint Eastwood, we would probably would be a little skeptical of. But there is just a way that he carries himself and recognizes that legacy that does endear you to him a little bit, even if it is just more so his abilities as an actor and performer and not necessarily like the storytelling going on. Right, because I got to be completely honest with you. When I finished watching this movie at first, like my initial reaction was I did not like this at all. I really didn't. I know some people have been really charmed by it and they got that feeling initially. For me, I had to sleep on it and it wasn't until the next day. And talking with you now, as I'm looking back on it, I'm willing to give it some leeway just because of what we're talking about right now. Notice that we haven't talked about the plot or anything else about this movie <laughs> yet. You know, we're just talking about Clint. And I I do have to, I think, factor that in. But I have to admit, while watching the movie, like, physically, like, in the moment, I was thinking to myself, the novelty has worn off because of the, what, what you said there before, Josh. Like, we've seen, we've seen him do this before. And so... I was thinking of that subconsciously while I was watching the movie of we're repeating similar territory again with this, yada, yada, yada. But then upon reflection, I did say to myself, you know what? This did come together in a (laughs) still problematic, but less problematic way than something like Gran Torino or The Mule. Uh, It still has, I think, problematic elements in it. And I'm happy to get into those here in a second. But on the whole, I was a bit more satisfied with, okay, if, if this really is the last that we see of Clint, I keep saying see because I do think that the man is going to continue to direct. He makes movies so quick. Like, he, he could easily give us still, pff, Jesus, he, he he could potentially give us another 10 more films for all I know. <laughs> yeah, just in the length of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we often joke that if Clint Eastwood, like, Let's say it's like March. He'll just get out of bed and be like, I'm going to shoot that movie today and release it by December. And he'll do it. <laughs> you know, he'll find a way to make it happen. Oh, yeah. Maybe he should sometimes take a step back and maybe think about it a little bit longer. But nope, he just he just keeps moving. And I think that's also the nature of this film, too, that it does feel like it just kind of moves along, even though. I think that the sense of time in this film was very confusing to me because there's one point where a character says, like, I've been waiting for you for two weeks. And I was like, it's been two weeks. I thought it was like three days. (laughs) What the hell are they doing? I thought the same thing. (laughs) I totally thought the same thing. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, he's also notorious for the whole. I'm going to shoot my actors in one take. Oh, like, Clint, can I get another take, please? Why? So you could waste everybody else's time. <laughs> you know, and it's just like I I I I feel watching this maybe more than ever. Uh, you know, and I and I was thinking a lot about Richard Jewell while watching this actually. Cause for the most part, I like Richard Jewell. Once again, I still got issues with the movie, but 
I thought the acting in it for the most part was pretty decent, especially from Paul Walter Hauser. And here, Clint is the main attraction as far as acting goes. You know, I mean, it's got Dwight Yoakam, sure, but, you know, no one's ever, I think, looked at Dwight Yoakam and said, like, oh, what an unbelievable actor, you know, sort of thing. Uh, So with that said, I feel that, you know, there's more than a handful of scenes and performances in this movie that are just really, really cringeworthy and really awkward and they don't come off well. I mean, I'm thinking about the scene where uh, he meets the, the the kid's mother. Oof. And she's got like the two henchmen. She's dressed in this dress. There's like a fire going on in the scene. And I'm saying to myself, is this supposed to be dangerous, sexy, funny, serious? Like, what's the tone of this scene? You know, and it's like, it's a scene that I feel like he clearly, because this is what he does. He shot it all in one take. And it seemed like it needed you know, time to find its rhythm and find what the tone of it was because God help me. It was just kind of all over the place. Yeah. The first act just in general is I think the roughest section of this movie where it's just trying to introduce all this information and set up these characters. And I don't think it, the film really does a great job of that. Like you said, the tone really isn't that well established. I think there's a lot of exposition dumps that feel very stilted and not natural. Oh, what about the uh, the transition to the black and white newspaper clipping Oof. of him breaking his back? Oh, God. Like, why did we need that? I don't understand. <laughs> why would they literally happen? say that he broke his back and then they proceed to show us this visual in a highly stylized way that is not fitting with anything else that happens in the movie at all. Yeah, just very weird. Yeah, the, <laughs> very, like very said, weird. The first act of this movie is sort of all over the place, and it doesn't really have major, like, solid footing to start telling its story. I think mm-hmm. once we get past that and essentially the road trip begins with yeah. uh, with the two of them, I think it starts to get a little better. It becomes a little bit more focused in terms of where their end goals are and where their character growths are going to end up being. And I think that's when the movie gets a little bit better. But I agree with you in that first act in particular, I was having a very hard time getting into this film. Oh, completely. And I agree that once they get on the road together, that's where the film is at its strongest, especially like the campfire scene conversations that they have in the car with one another. It it does pain me just a little bit to see Eastwood, who, as I mentioned before, has been this icon of masculinity on screen for so many decades. You know, here his voice is more hushed and weaker than it's ever been before. You know, I, I know I've done a couple of uh, imitations of the voice here on, you know, the podcast, but it definitely does not have as much of a gravelly, like rough and tough feel to it as much anymore um and he too you can tell he's more thin he looks more frail he looks more pale it, it, it he definitely is starting to look uh you know his age whereas and i find that very interesting because in the past you know especially with movies like gran torino like you could see like the wrinkles and like the rough edges on his face. And now it's so weird. I don't know if he had work done, but he's more smooth than he ever, he's ever looked before. Maybe it was just makeup. I have no idea. I've been still trying to figure this out, how he looks the way that he looks uh, in terms of his face. But, um, but there's no mistaking that physically wise, like he's got a scene uh, where he has to like uh, push somebody. And I mean, 
oof, it was like Irishman levels of uh, physicality work going on there. Or when he's on the horse and there are only close-up shots of him from like the chest up and then all yep, the wides yep. are, you can't see him at all. It's like, okay, well, that was clearly a double. Yeah, I mean, there's things like that in terms of the filmmaking that really emphasize his age. But, you know, the movie, I don't think really makes enough of a deal actually of how old this character is but well that's the problem yeah is that i was trying to understand why did it have to be clint why couldn't they have given this role to um a character actor in their 60s that could have used this as um a, a vehicle to get good notices or revitalize a career or something like that you know well i mean but again as we have said this material in this role does emphasize a lot of the sort of cultural touchstones that we know of Clint Eastwood just as a movie star in the Western genre. And I think I, I completely agree. But to your point earlier. Yeah. And I, I understand that here it's done better than it was before. But the but the point that it has been done before was something that was crossing my mind in terms of, okay, did we need this again? Like, I'm glad that it turned out better this time when it was all said and done. But there was a part of me that did keep thinking to myself, like, all right, if they had cast someone who, you know, was 65 years old and maybe hadn't had a big role in their career in quite some time and, you know, really, really needed that kind of a push or something. Like, I, I don't know. It just I, th- these these thoughts just kept crossing my mind, mm-hmm. especially because, to your point, they don't ever really make a note about his age. Um, I mean, obviously, in terms of, you know, that he's old. Yes. But not that he's 90. <laughs> yeah. Like you get the sense that this character is sort of over the hill, kind of a little past his prime. But yeah, there's a difference between being like 65 and 70 and 90 years old. Like there is a right difference with that. And I agree that the movie doesn't really ever make that kind of an emphasis. But I think just knowing that Clint Eastwood is old and the character is supposed to be old, I think is the shorthand that they're going with. I'm not necessarily saying that I agree that it is entirely effective, but I understand where their strategy was in having Eastwood play this character. And, you know, I didn't mind that this movie is targeted for a different audience than you or me, Josh. You know, it's targeted towards, obviously, fans of Clint Eastwood's work. It's targeted towards uh, people that find jokes like, why the hell would a kid ever want to leave this place as he's staring at a mansion? Like, and that's supposed to get a laugh, you know? Or, um... Gosh, the fact that he like loves animals and they all bring him the animals and he's like, they must think of Dr. Doolittle or something, you know, it's just like, which I will. I have to admit that did get a little chuckle out of me. Yeah, I know it, it does. It does. I'm just but I'm saying, though, that it's playing to a very particular type of audience. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, because I, I do think that in terms of what the film is trying to seek out to do. It ultimately does succeed. Um, I do think that there are just a lot of bumps along the way. And, you know, in particular, there's one scene in this movie and this like set my grade back like a whole full point when I was watching it. There's one scene in particular involving uh, policemen at the end of this film that really upset me. I mean, like I was very frustrated and angry with this scene I don't know if you felt similar to it. I don't know if I want to get into too much detail, but it came off in a way where I found it to be disingenuous and 
much more forgiving of how law enforcement would handle a situation like that. And even like when the scene was over, Clint like gets like a jab in there of like, if they had a brain, they'd be dangerous. And it's like, no, motherfucker, they are dangerous. Like, you know, your view towards policemen is totally skewered considering, you know, how they really do behave with especially, uh, you know, people that, you know, are south of the border. Uh, you know, it, it just like it really rubbed me the wrong way. Honestly, I think for me with that scene, the biggest issue I had was just it felt so pointless. Like we got through it. And what did that scene really accomplish? Like we're not we're trying to obviously not say too much about it, but I just felt like we got to the end of that moment and it was like, okay, our characters got slowed down for a little bit, but it really didn't impact their journey all that much. And I think that if that scene wasn't there, really not that much of the movie would have been altered. So that was what I was struck with, was just that it felt like so unnecessary to have this like scenic detour in the narrative. It's like, why was this here? I feel that it is Clint Eastwood... Honestly, just taking a moment to tell the audience, hey, not all cops are bad. And what he, I think, fails to establish in that scene is, yeah, Clint, not all cops are bad if the person that they're pulling over is an elderly white man. Yeah, well, I think I would even amend that statement of not all Mexican cops are bad. I think it's almost like what the movie's actually trying to say in that moment. Sure. Yeah. I, I but I agree with you, Josh, like that scene, like probably should have had more to it, not in terms of just adding excitement to the movie, but just to be maybe just a bit more realistic. But I think Clint's just pro cop agenda, you know, just, he just wanted to communicate that in that scene or like have it mean something to their situation and these characters on their journey. And I just feel like there's so many things in this movie that present obstacles to these characters but they're not really obstacles they get through them fairly quickly and even the very end of the movie i was sort of expecting like not necessarily a twist but like some kind of escalation in the stakes of what they were trying to accomplish and the movie just doesn't have that and for some people i can see that as being like a good thing because it means you kind of know what you're getting and there aren't any surprises but from a storytelling perspective, it just meant that the momentum was very kind of sluggish to me because I, I kept waiting for something to, as I said, escalate the tension, escalate the stakes to this, uh, to their goals. And that just never happens throughout the entire runtime. It's a pretty simple, straightforward, get go to point A to point B without much nuance or anything complicated in between. I appreciate that the movie is relatively short. It's only 104 minutes long, which is, you know, nice. And it does move at a very, not sluggish pace. I wouldn't say that, but it doesn't move at a fast pace either, necessarily. But yeah, I agree, especially by the time we get to the ending of the movie. And it's like clearly the most dangerous threat at this point. You think that there's going to be, I don't know, some level of stakes introduced and oh the character of macho is a rooster in this movie and let's just say the rooster earns its his uh his paycheck by the end of the film yeah (laughs) honestly i i i couldn't help but laugh i i really couldn't help it i i i thought it was silly i thought it was way too damn convenient and just fully unbelievable we took it all 
We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Yeah, I'm not going to, like, stand up for it too much. The only thing that I will give it is it at least was set up a little bit earlier in terms of uh, Macho attacking that guy in another scene. Now, granted, it was also a scene where 90-year-old Clint Eastwood could get the better of him in a fist fight. That was a little ridiculous. But at least it showed that the rooster was willing to attack this specific guy so that when it happened later at near the end of the movie, it's like, okay, it's still silly, but at least it was established. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that, but still. It's not a great defense. I'm, I will grant you that, <laughs> but I'm at least... I'm at least saying that it was justified within the narrative. You know, it's set up and payoff, which is more than you could say for a lot of screenplays out there. What did you think of the way that the film was shot? I know I mentioned this earlier um, in terms of how the movie is really, you know, kind of bathed in sunlight. It's got a nice warm look to it. Uh, ben Davis is the uh, cinematographer on this film, and, you know, he's done three billboards. He's done Captain Marvel. He's doing Chloe Zhao's uh, Eternals next. So I'm just curious, what did you think of the look of this movie? Because it is a radical departure, I feel like, from a lot of uh, other Clint Eastwood films. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's like the most dynamic looking movie, but I think in comparison to some of his previous films, it is definitely a step up. I mean, I do like some of the stuff that Tom Stern has shot for him, but man, like once you get into like the J. Edgar hereafter era, that's when it just is like such, <laughs> it's so gray. Like there's no color at all. And I did appreciate a little bit more of like the landscapes that they shot in this one. The only thing that I didn't really like is that this movie takes place in what, like 1980. Yeah. And I did not get a sense that this was in the past, like at all. It felt very contemporary to me. And I really don't know why it was set like 40 years ago because it didn't really it didn't come across that way visually while I was watching the film. That was really the only complaint I had with the way that this film was shot. I mean, visually and also, too, was there anything even narratively that made you go, oh, this needed to be set in the past? Like, why couldn't this be a contemporary story? I think there's only one reason why. Mm -hmm. I think it's because of cell phones. I think it's literally the only reason why it's set in the 1980s. Oh, that does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I guess you're right. Jesus. But other than that, like, yeah, there's nothing in this story that really that really like forces it to take place in like the early 80s. And I never really felt like the filmmaking justified that narrative decision either. So it was like. It looked fine, but I kept thinking about this is supposed to be like 40 years ago, and this looks like today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Uh, you know, Clint Eastwood got a lot of criticism in Gran Torino for uh, the use of the 
non-actors in that movie and also to some of the stereotypical racism that was also leveled at at the film so i'm curious from your perspective here josh what did you think of the handling of uh the character of Raphael, or um you know any of the other characters that clint eastwood interacts with in this movie because i found it to be still stereotypical but at the same time less offensively so which is all we can hope for with, with this collaboration <laughs> of Eastwood and Shane. Uh, yeah, I think I would agree with that mostly. Um, I think Eduardo Minette gets off a little bit easier than like the kids in Gran Torino did. Cause I think those performances in that film are like atrocious, but that's not all their fault. That's I would actually blame mostly Clint Eastwood for that. I think Minette is a slightly better actor. He's not great. I don't think he's like giving an amazing performance, but I think he holds his own enough with Eastwood and they have some nice moments together. Again, nothing that I would ever say is like setting the screen on fire, but given Eastwood's uh, reputation as a director and particularly how he doesn't really hold the hands of people that don't have a lot of experience with acting, I think that Minette did a slightly better job than I was expecting him to give. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm completely with you on that. And I, you know, I also will say, too, I, I think Clint is, you know, I'll just, you know, diverting back over to him for a minute here. I, I would not rank this as one of his best performances by any means. I know that some people do like that he's more tender in this film and, you know, that's that's worked for them. But I kind of found it to be a bit dull and bland and didn't really have much to it. And then even in the scenes where, like, he's still trying to retain some of his, like, his grittiness and he's grinning his teeth and getting all that angry and what have you. There's something about it that now just isn't hitting the same way as it did in something like Gran Torino. Well, it's that like softer, frail, yeah, kind of um, persona that we're now talking about that he has adopted in his older age. And I think that does give way to some moments of vulnerability. There's that scene when they're in like that that chapel where he kind of gets very emotional that. You know, that's usually a side we don't see from Clint Eastwood that often, and I thought that was well done. But I do agree that for the most part, it is just sort of the same Eastwood that we've come to expect, just a little bit older. But I also kind of feel like that's the intention of his performance here. Yeah, no, I I completely agree in that regard. Uh, Other than that, I wish there was more to really discuss about this movie because, you know, the road movie, once you get out of the first act, and then you get into the second act. It, it really is a much more conventional and peaceful film, with the exception of, as I mentioned earlier, <laughs> when when he takes a, a bit of a pit stop and he ends up meeting with um, uh, Marta. Her name is right. Is that her name? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, did I did I start getting worried? I was like, what? what why? I, I get. <laughs> Sorry, just like I'm having flashbacks to the mule here. Oh, oh and I'm yeah, just I know, saying to myself, like, you know, Clint's a good looking guy. I'll give him some credit for that. And, you know, the guy obviously still working in his 90s. You know, he's got to be obviously fit and sure he's drinking a glass of wine every evening and what have you. But at the same time, I'm just like, dude, you got women that are like clearly <laughs> decades younger than you, like still you know, Googling eyes at you. And I'm just like, you know, to me, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing necessarily. I just find it to be more distracting than anything. Well, first of all, it's 
the scenes with Marta, we can at least agree, are much better than the ones with uh, Raphael's mom. Like, we can at least agree with that. I, I oh, hope. 100%. Yes. Yeah, where she's like, she was like throwing herself in this 90 year old in, in her house. My God. I, I literally laughed out loud. It's a mystery to me, too. My God. It's so <laughs> ridiculous. And I, at least I think that the scenes with him and Marta, while the introduction to their like romantic relationship felt a bit forced to me, I do think that they had like enough chemistry where I could sort of go with it. I didn't really like, though, that like she never spoke English. I didn't really like that decision but just as like two people that are from different parts of like society and different cultures kind of having somewhat of a connection with each other in any way they can i thought that they did enough of a job enough of a good job to kind of like be somewhat endeared to it again like so many elements of this movie is it the greatest thing in the world no it far from it but I expected much worse, which <laughs> is just like that, that's my mentality with this movie. It's not great, but I expected worse. <laughs> it's amazing where the bar has been set now. <laughs> well, he said it there. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, Josh, final thoughts on Cry Macho. Uh, do you have any or anything you want to reiterate? Um, I think the only other thing that I would mention is uh, something that I have always looked out for with Clint Eastwood movies is the music. And the music here, for the most part, is not memorable. But the one thing that I did notice is that there, in a couple places, there's like this, uh, these like piano notes that come in, like they're very simple. And I, kn- I just know that that was a Clint Eastwood composition because every time he does the music for his movies, that's what it all <laughs> sounds like. And there's another uh, composer actually credited for the music, but I am guaranteeing it that those like soft little piano notes that sound like somebody just tinking away in their basement. That is a hundred percent Clint Eastwood. Cause that's all his music sounds like. Yep. Yep. He only knows how to make one kind of a uh, film score. Yep. Yep. It's just like one hand on a piano, just banging out notes. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. I would probably do the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, but you don't have the money to hire a composer with a full orchestra, though. <laughs> uh, I another thing I'll add is that there is a backstory given about Mike, uh, the character that he plays, uh, his wife and his son, that I wish they went a little bit deeper with. I really do wish that this would have been um, a, a more layered character study. It's very surface level. It's very broad. It, it it appeals to a different demographic, as I mentioned earlier. But there was a part of me that once again felt that maybe if this screenplay had been tinkered with a bit more, uh, maybe, you know, a different actor, you know, I, I feel like there could have been just more layers uh, given to this that would have made this just a little bit better. Yeah, I think you could have also gotten that with more scenes between him and Dwight Yoakam. Yeah, and yeah. Like, I, and as you said, I don't think Dwight Yoakam is like a great actor, but I thought that actually they had some nice banter in in this movie for the little bit that we get, and that would have been another opportunity to get more complex layered backstory with this character. But like a lot of Clint Eastwood movies, especially lately, it's just we just got to go. We, it was in the script. We only got this one scene and that's all that you're getting. And we just got to move on to the next one. See, even with the Dwight Yoakam scenes, I still got that one take mentality coming through in his performance. Like I understand what you're saying about the banter and like how they have a shared history and that's maybe coming through a bit in some of their dialogue exchanges. But for me, I just couldn't help but 
keep focusing on, wow, these line readings are just reading very wooden and dull right now. Yeah, I will admit that the line readings in particular were kind of rough in those sections. But again, maybe this is just me grasping at straws. I saw the potential for there to be more interesting backstory that could have been developed. And maybe I'm just thinking about the potential that could have existed in those scenes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other than that, I mean, the movie ending with the rooster crowing, that got a laugh out of me. <laughs> I don't know if it was the kind of laugh that the movie wanted, but I did laugh when the credits rolled. <laughs> I think I just I think it was more of one of those, uh, of course, like yeah. kind of kind of laughs that I let out. Uh, overall, I, I was weaker on this movie um, after my initial viewing of it. And as I mentioned before, I've sat on it a little bit. I've reflected a bit more. And I recognize that what it's trying to do, it's doing, I guess, relatively well. You know, it's like, we're, as we mentioned before, where is the bar at this point, you know? So I'll give it a four out of 10. I was, I believe it or not, I was lower before. And I maybe, maybe a part of me is still being a bit, you know, too critical of it now. But I do believe that if another, another director or another actor, like, I just don't believe Clint should have been doing both duties here. And I also feel very, very strongly that the one take, you know, mentality that he has, you can get away with it when you have very high caliber actors working in your film. And even then it can still be a little rough, but you know, I mean, Sully, for example, comes across way better than something like this, in my opinion. Um, and even that movie still has flaws. So yeah, I'm going to go with a four out of 10 on this one. Uh, but if this is the last time that we do see Clint Eastwood on screen in a feature length film again, um, I do think that it is a respect, respectable way to go out. Yeah, I, I can understand that uh, that perspective. I am going to land at a five out of ten, just really like right down the middle. I did not hate it. I didn't really like it all that much either. I think it has some charming moments that will work for people, but it is a movie that just sort of it gets in, it gets out, but without much fanfare to it. And I think that lack of like, as I said, stakes in the story just really prevented me from getting more into it. So it's not terrible. It's a little bland and and dull, but you know, it for what it sets out to do, I think that it will accomplish that for some people, but it just didn't do it quite well enough for me to fully recommend it. And then Clint Eastwood has had award season success tied to his films in the past, especially when they get released anytime during this point in the year. But I think that with the lack of a showing supporting performance or Obviously, the film not being a best picture contender and, you know, he himself, uh, while he has been nominated for his acting before, um, you know, that hasn't happened since Million Dollar Baby. So, yeah, I, I see this as a dead in the water film as far as awards is concerned. Yeah, this isn't going anywhere. Warner Brothers is going to be busy with other stuff. This kind of seems like it actually got dumped in September. Well, September's not usually a time to release Clint Eastwood movies, so I feel like there's already not enough, not a lot of fanfare with this one. And look, I don't like the movie at all, but I also feel like if Clint couldn't get nominated for Gran Torino, I kind of feel like they're just not in the mood to nominate Clint Eastwood's acting anymore. Yeah, 
no, I completely agree with you on that. And then also, too, you know, as you mentioned before, Warner Brothers is going to be busy at this point. It is very interesting that I haven't heard and maybe this interview does exist and I just haven't come across it yet. I haven't heard what Clint Eastwood's thoughts are on the HBO Max and theatrical day and day release uh, for this movie. Uh I, I don't know. I haven't seen him make a comment on that or if he has, it hasn't come by my way. I would just think that if I was 90 years old and the studio was still allowing me to make movies, I would just be quiet and be happy about that, personally speaking. <laughs> I'm sure you're not wrong. I'm sure he's probably just thinking, I'll make another one. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so I, that would be my guess is that he's just happy to still make movies, but I could be wrong. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that'll do it here for our review of Cry Macho on the Next Best Picture podcast. Josh Parham told them where they can find you on the Internet. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.